Uh, Amos uh, is an unusual uh, 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 passage uh, here. And, uh, but we're going to look at that as we go through the book of Amos and see how that applies to us and see what application we can uh, do as we interpret the scripture here. Uh, so we're, today we're going to have a very unusual title of the sermon. Uh, I titled it, If God Be Against Us, and I'm going to explain that in just a moment. First, let me say God is not against us, amen? Uh, but I'm going to explain what I mean by that in just a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help for His help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the strength that you have promised us, and we thank you that you have promised to help us as we follow you. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear the words that you would have us to hear today, to uh, strengthen our resolve to uh, honor you with our lives, and that we would go forth from here to uh, serve you and reach the world for you. I pray that you bless us now. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Uh, well, I, I, I ha excuse me. Uh, Romans chapter eight verse thirty-one tells us, uh, "What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us?" And that's kind of where I got this. I kind of flopped it a little bit because of what the passage is talking about here. Uh, is, if God be for us, who can be against us? And we as Christians know that God is for us, and praise the Lord for that. And we can take courage to the fact that God is for us and so nothing, no one can be against us. But here in this passage, Israel has found themselves in a situation to where God is against them. And the message that is given to them is, if God is against you, what hope do you have? And that's kind of the situation that we have here. This is God's chosen people. And so this title of the sermon today, If God Be Against Us, is a reminder of we want to stay on God's side, amen, and do what he has asked us to do. Israel at this point, when Amos is speaking, has found herself in a very dangerous position because of their sin. Uh, they were founded as a nation ruled by the laws and principles of God's word and revelation. Uh, they had godly leaders in their past who led them to do as God commanded them to do. And although their leaders of the past were not perfect men, in fact, some of them uh, openly sinned. Uh, overall, they had a desire to follow God. But there came a day when they listened to others who were not of God, false prophets, listened to false gods, to people who were not the children of God, others who wanted Israel to follow a different path, a path that, was made, that, that made them more like the other nations around them, the nations that worshipped other gods. And I have to tell you that I, I see a very shocking and disturbing similarity between Israel at this time in their history and America in our time in our history. I might take a moment to say that there are, if you will, three groups of people that have been chosen by God. All humankind, God formed you in your mother's womb and you have been chosen to be born. God formed every person in their mother's womb. Every living soul is fearfully and wonderfully made and was chosen to have life. And the second group of people that were chosen by God is Israel, God's chosen people. He chose a family, and from that grew a nation, and they were God's chosen people. And the second, second, third group of chosen are Christians, and we are God's chosen individuals. And we have been chosen to become 
the sons and daughters of God. But like Israel, America was founded by those who follow God. We were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We were founded on the Word of God. <clears throat> if you tour Washington, D.C., at least the last time I was there, I don't know what has been removed, but the last time I was there, you find the Bible everywhere, written on the walls and everywhere you go. Why? Because we were founded as a Christian nation and based upon the foundation of the Word of God. We had godly leaders who were not perfect by any means. In fact, some openly sinned. And yet, they desired to follow God. But we have allowed people of the surrounding realms, if you will, those who follow after Satan and follow after his plan for the destruction of all that God has created, we have allowed them to infiltrate our nation and sway our people to false gods, gods of immorality, gods of political correctness, gods of materialism, gods of low character. And we as Christians have yielded our way, our standing before God, and now our children are full force going after the gods of this world. We call moral what is clearly defined as immoral in God's Word. We have far too long, as the Church of the Living God, focused solely on the grace and mercy and love of God, and that's good. We shouldn't focus away from that. But we also have to make sure we have a balance and realize that we cannot leave behind the fact that God is a God of justice and righteousness and judgment. Israel finds themselves on the threshold of judgment here in Amos chapter 3. Amos, a shepherd keeper from the southern kingdom of Judah, has been sent by God and from God to declare this oracle of judgment to the nation in the north, Israel. In this passage, we see three key aspects of God's judgment in this chapter today that I want to look at. Now, I believe in expository preaching, and I, I believe we need to be very careful not to take Scripture out of context. And although we must interpret Scripture accurately and carefully, interpretation without application brings the truth of God's Word to an untimely death in our hearts and minds. Interpretation without application doesn't change lives. And so because of that, we're going to look at these verses for what they say and interpret it rightly according to the context of the Word of God and its historical interpretation. However, we also want to apply these verses with the same principles to our lives and the lives of those around us and to the lives of our nation so that we can see how the Scripture passage is profitable to us as the Bible says all Scripture is profitable. <clears throat> so let's begin by looking at the first aspect of God's judgment. Number one, God's judgment is fair. And I believe we see this in verses 1 and 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought out from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. 
God calls out the children of Israel and reminding them of what he has done for them. All the things, how he has helped them and how he has delivered them. He has delivered them, the entire nation, from slavery in Egypt. He has given them a home. He has given them a land to possess. In verse 2, we see a, two key words that I want to pay attention to. The first one is the word no. And this one word, he reminds them that he has chosen them. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Does that verse say that uh, God does not know the other ones exist? Of course not. That's not what the word is talking about. It's talking about a, cho a choice. They have chosen them. This word known is an intimate word. More than just having a mental knowledge of them, but it speaks of a deep relationship and covenant between two parties. The Bible even uses this word to speak of intimacy between a husband and wife. In Genesis 4.1, he says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived. And this is the same word that God uses when he's talking about knowing this family above all the families of the earth. He has chosen them. <clears throat> he has known them. He has protected them. He has helped them. He has led this chosen people. And by the way, we're, we too are God's chosen people and are known of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. We too have been chosen by God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The same condemning question must be asked of those who profess Christ, but do not do as he commands. How could we then turn away from him after all that he has done for us? Galatians 4.9 tells us, But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. How, when after you've been known of God, and more, uh, you know God and have been known of God, how can you go back to that sin? So the first key word in this verse is no. The second key word I want us to notice seems kind of odd after the first key word, but the second key word is punish. Because Israel has turned away from God, because they have, after knowing God, have turned to idols, God says, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. The Hebrew word punish in this verse literally means to visit. It can be a visit to bring good. And in some cases and in some verses in the Bible, it is a visit for good. I will visit them, meaning bring blessings to them. However, the word visit can also bring bringing bad. When studying this, I remembered as a child my mom telling me, go to your room until your dad gets home. And I remember my dad visiting my room. <laughs> it was not usually to bring good in those situations. <laughs> 
The context of the, ver- context of the verse determines the interpretation of this word. And there's no doubt that God means that He will bring punishment to His children. God's mercy is great. But there comes a point in every father's life when he sees that mercy is not what that child needs, but punishment is needed. Chastisement is needed. We are the children of God. How could we expect any different from God? than what He has brought his, to the children of Israel. God's judgment is fair. He knows us better than anyone else. And if we continue in our sin, He will visit us. Hebrews 12, 6 tells us, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. That word chasten means to discipline and to guide. He loves us. Therefore, He chasteneth us. I remember as a teenager, whenever I was at camp, my youth pastor was the preacher that week. And we had a bunch of of churches going to this camp. And he preached a sermon on, uh, if you don't see the chastisement of the Lord in your life, perhaps you ought to look to see if you're His child. And I grabbed hold of one concept of that sermon And I began to worry and thinking, I don't know that I see God's chastisement in my life. I don't understand. Am I not a child of God? And I I came to him and talked to him, and I'm glad I did. And I said, I'm I'm afraid from what I heard that I'm not God's. I don't see anything in my life where God is chastening me. And he kind of chuckled a little bit. He said, Jeremy, I know your heart, and God knows your heart. He said, I know and I have seen that when you sin, you immediately repent. And you immediately ask God for forgiveness. He said, I've seen it. God doesn't chasten you when you've already fixed the problem. What we're dealing here with is unrepentance. You have accepted the gift of God. You have realized that God died for you, but you have chosen to go back into that life to which you were saved from and unrepentantly continue therein. God says, I love you, and I'm going to chasten you. Let me say in no uncertain terms, if you are a child of God, and you have decided to live in unrepentant sin, God will visit you with chastisement. You have been given much, and much is required of you. God's judgment is fair. Secondly, we see that God's judgment is fixed. Here, Amos begins a series of statements to emphasize the point that judgment is inevitable for Israel. We're going to look at each of them and see what he's saying. But a a loving God is warning his rebellious people that judgment is fixed. It's inevitable if they continue down the path that they're going to. We see, first of all, that he speaks for caution. He is cautioning them. He is warning them, letter A. He wants them to know that judgment is coming for his children. It's inevitable if they don't repent. He cautions them. He says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's an assumed that you cannot walk together and 
go in two opposite directions. He walks with me and He talks with me. And truthfully, God never changes His direction. And so the best way, I think we ought to say it. Now, I'm not saying we should change the song because we know what we're talking about. But the best way to say it perhaps is, and I walk with Him and He talks with me. <laughs> Amen? Because God never changes His direction. It's that I decide to walk with Him. But I'm grateful for the spirit of the song as well, that He is right there with us. God wants to walk with you, but you have to be going the same direction He is. I just got back from camp. I was privileged to have all of my kids there with me. <clears throat> Where I was going somewhere, and one of my kids runs up to me and catches up with me and walks me and talks with me as I go somewhere. I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm a little softy. I, I, I thrilled my heart that my teenagers would run up to me and want to talk to me when they had their friends there and had all these activities and stuff. And it was exciting to my heart and thrill to my heart to see my child who I love want to walk with me. But how can we walk with our Father if we are not in agreement? If we're not going the same direction? If we're not going the same way as our Father, we will not be with Him. Verse 4 continues with his series of illustrations, if you will. He says, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? He's saying, will the lion roar if there's no prey there? Uh, no, they roar at times of hunting. When there is prey, they, they roar at those times. It's an of course not statement. Of course they don't. He says, will a young lion cry out of his den if he has taken nothing? Well, no, of course not. A young lion, though hungry, doesn't cry out. But when he sees his mother coming with the prey, then the cries can be heard. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Snare and gin are, are two different words that mean trap. Does a bird fall to the ground in a trap when there is no trap set for him? Of course not. That's the statement we're making here. There needs to be a trap in order to catch a bird in a trap. You understand what I'm saying? He says, shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Do you remove a trap before it has caught anything? Typically not. Maybe if you're moving the trap because you continually don't get something. But the point is, the point of removing the trap is because you've caught something. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and people not be afraid? The trumpets blown in these cities that we're talking about here during this time frame warned the people within the walls that danger was coming. The enemy was attacking. I, I hear you had a tornado warning while I was at camp. My phone kept going off <laughs> uh, because it's the location set for Mayville. It, it, can, it can cause a feeling of unease and fear, especially for those who aren't used to them. People that are born in the Midwest, I'm finding, when the tornado warning goes off, step outside to watch it all and then run for cover if they have to. People from California run for cover and just stay there, just in case. But if the trumpets are blown, will the people not be afraid? Of course they will. Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Of course, this word evil is not speaking of sin. 
It's speaking because God cannot do evil. It's speaking of destruction, something bad happening to the city. Does God not allow or prevent things from happening, or does He allow things to happen? Do they happen because of Him? Is it it not all in His hands? The answer is, of course it is. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophets. He said He will not judge or punish without speaking through His prophets first and warning His people through His word, through His revelation, warn His people. God speaks to His servants, the prophets. He warns His people of the destruction before it comes. The question is, like Israel, will we hear? Peter and John told the high priest in Acts 4.20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They were not accepted and they were not beloved by the people who they spoke out to. But their answer to the criticisms was, we cannot help but speak what we have seen and heard. The prophets are within the same position. Nobody liked to see these prophets coming most of the time. They liked the false prophets because they said good things. But the prophets of God that tried to warn them, I don't want to hear about coming judgment. That's not comfortable. That's not fun. And they didn't like those prophets. But we still need to hear. Verse 8, it says, The lion hath roared who will not fear. The Lord God hath spoken. Who can but prophesy? Once again, the image is given of a lion roaring that we saw in chapter 1. The day of judgment is here. Listen, it is inevitable if we don't repent. But notice one thing about these great noises that we are spoken of in these verses. Not only does he speak for caution, but he speaks for change. He's not speaking just to hear himself speak. Each of these noises are a call out from God for His people to repent, to change their ways so that their judgment no longer needs to come. Had the children of Israel changed their hearts, God would have healed their land. If America will change their heart, hear the call of warning. Hear that God wants to change us. God will heal our land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He says it is God's people. If my people, if God's people will repent. It's God's people who need to repent. It's God's people who need to humble themselves. It's God's people who need to pray for their country. It's God's people who need to seek His face. It's God's people who need to turn from their wicked ways. If God's people will repent, God has promised that He will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sin. He will heal their land. We need our land healed today, do we not? It starts with God's people, our hearts. Hear the roar of the lion. Let it be a warning for us to do as God has commanded us to do. 
humbly seek ourselves and not self-righteously saying, well, I'm doing right. Maybe a caution to us when we hear that lion roar to realize that we need to humble ourselves and say, God, is there anything that I have not humbled myself? Is there anything I have not repented from? Is there anything that, that is preventing, that I'm doing that is preventing your forgiveness? Hear the peal of the trumpet. Take heed to the warning and repent. The judgment of God is fair. Not only have we been given much, but we have also been given multiple warnings. It's fair. The judgment of God is fixed. For those who do not repent, rest assured it will come. So listen to the trumpet. And then we see in this chapter the third aspect of God's judgment. God's judgment is full. God's judgment is full. He says in verse 9, Publish in the palace of Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. Amos calls to the foreign countries to come and see the trouble that Israel is in, especially there in Samaria. Why? Because the children of Israel have shown, first of all, letter A, complete rebellion. Because there was a couple, a, 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 there was a complete and total breakdown of relational behavior, how they treated each other, and was that was evidence of their breakdown of their relationship with God. See, there are two ways that relationships work: vertical and horizontal. Anytime the vertical relationship between us and God is broken, the relationship between horizontally between us and others will be broken. And the evidence that we saw in Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2, the evidences that we saw of that broken relationship and how they were treating people was evidence that they have broken their relationship with God. Verse 10 says, For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. They've gotten so bad that they don't even know how to do right. They do nothing but store up violence and robbery everywhere. It's a complete breakdown of normal behavior in their society. They're led by materialism, by violence instead of equity and compassion. They do not know how, to, how they ought to treat one another anymore. There's a complete relational back, uh, breakdown in their society. So because of this utter and complete abandonment of God's law and God's plan for them, because of that complete rebellion, they receive letter B, complete ruin. He says in verse 11, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, An adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. So the punishment that is being proclaimed here is total loss. There will be, they will be surrounded. They will be brought down. Their palaces will be spoiled. The most secure places in their land will be spoiled. They sat in comfort in their prosperity, but soon all of that will be gone. Verse 12, he says, Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth 
of the lion two legs and a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed in Damascus and a couch. The Lord declares that there will be only a few, a remnant, that will remain in Israel once the rest is devoured. Just as a shepherd, once an lion attacks, may only take out what was left, a, a couple of legs or a little piece of an ear. He said that's what it's going to look like for Israel. Just pieces are going to be left. He says this, this through the image of the shepherd picking the legs and the ear from the mouth of the lion. He says, Hear ye, in verse 13, Testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will smite the winter house and with a summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. It's talking about total ruin. God calls them to hear what he's saying, and he, he will visit, he will punish the transgression of Israel. He speaks of the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altars being cut off, and he's speaking to their corporate worship. This is a reference to the fact that I believe that Jeroboam I in Israel tried to mix the worship of the God of heaven with the God of the nations around them and defiled the temple because of it. Jeroboam made two golden calves and caused them to be worshipped alongside the Lord in Bethel. As the people became more wicked and the more their worship became wicked. External forms of worship are worthless if personal and corporate holiness is lacking. I'm going to say that again. External forms of worship is, wor is worthless if personal and corporate holiness are lacking. God doesn't want fake worship. He wants your heart. It doesn't matter how much worship happens in this church. We can have the best singers for miles around. We can have the best instrumentalists for miles around. We can have the greatest preaching if we could ever find a great preacher. But none of it will matter if we're not living holy lives. All that external, external forms of worship are worthless if holiness is lacking. What inevitably happens is the worship becomes compromised and becomes more like the world. This often happens so that we don't get under conviction for our lack of holiness. We change our worship to become more like the world so that we don't get under conviction by holy worship. Jeroboam invited the Canaanite gods to be worshipped alongside God, and God was not happy. Romans 1.25 says, speaking of these people who change uh, the, uh, their, their ways. It says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. This always leads to confusion. And God says in verse 15, I will smite the winter house with the summer house and the houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. These great palaces that they had 
that was a sign of their prosperity. And prosperity always brings a sense of relief in a nation. He says, these great things that you're hoping in, I will utterly destroy. Doesn't matter how prosperous you become, God will bring judgment upon those who don't repent. Amos, a true prophet of God, spoke the truth as God revealed it to the rebellious and idolatrous nation of Israel. There were prophets, priests, and kings who were supposed to know and follow God's law and God's revealed word, but they didn't do it. Today we have many false prophets preaching a false gospel. A gospel of prosperity. A gospel that says everything is all right. You can live however you want to live. We just need to love one another. And that's true. But there's also the other aspects of the Bible that we need to preach as well. America as a whole, because of these false preachers, have left their Lord. The Lord that has helped them from the beginning. The Lord that has established this nation, helped us to establish this nation on His principles. And if we don't change the way we're going, we will be judged. Many Christians today are content just coasting along life and being lukewarm. But God hates lukewarmness. Revelation 3.16 says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He would rather you be completely cold than for you to have that form of godliness and denying the power thereof. I've seen it over and over again. Christians who were once on fire for God and their families active in church, serving and growing in the Lord, and I've seen them get tired, get discouraged, and soon they begin to criticize others that are still going strong for the Lord. Before long, they're dropping out. I wish I could show you the lives of those that once were so strong in the Lord, but ended up drifting into sin. Families torn apart. Bitterness ruling their heart. Children, many of the ones that I'm specifically speaking of, children became addicts. Just a shell of the person that they once were. And bitterness has ravaged their lives and their faces. Oh, how important it is that we stay strong in the Lord. Amen. Continually have a spirit of humbleness. And come to the Lord and say, is there anything that I am doing that is preventing your favor and your blessings? And repent. Staying strong in your walk with God so that God can reveal those things to us. And we can see areas where we still need to grow. We're going through this life. We are justified and we are saved and we are declared just righteous. But as we live this Christian life, there's a process called sanctification that's supposed to happen in our lives. And we see things, and as we read the Word of God, God says, that needs to go so you can be more like me. And we grow in Christ, and we become more like Him. But there's far too many Christians that are stagnant. Stay strong in your walk with God. Stay strong in your worship with God. Keep serving the Lord. 
God cares about how we treat each other, by the way. That was the one major sin of what, they, what Israel was facing there. It's a big deal to him. And God cares about how we worship him. It matters to him. If we will not listen, if we will not repent, God's judgment will be fair. We've been warned. God's judgment will be fixed. It's inevitable. It will come. We will not escape. And he warns, so that we, he warns us so that he, we will repent. God's judgment will be full. It doesn't matter how prosperous our nation is. If we don't repent from our wickedness, we will be judged. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior today, you face an eternal judgment. You face a judgment that's different than what I'm speaking of. Hebrews 9.27 says that as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. That's speaking of the internal judgment. That if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're facing today. Every man, woman, and child will stand before God and give an account for what they have done with what God has revealed to us. If you do not know the Lord as your Savior, please come and talk to me after the service and settle it today. If you do know the Lord, if you do know the Lord, have you yielded to Him as your Lord in your life? Or are you still living in rebellion? You cannot continue to run from God and not expect judgment to come. Come back to Him. Be all in. He's waiting for you to repent. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless today. Lord, it's a difficult sermon to preach today. Not one that we, I enjoy preaching. Uh, and anytime we talk about judgment, whether we're talking about eternal judgment and that, that aspect, or whether we're talking about the aspect of, of chastisement, it's not a fun thing to talk about. I want to be encouraging. I want to be uplifting, and I want to try to give the good side. But Lord, there's a balance to everything. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear these cautions. And many in this room will take a look at their lives and come before you and say, Lord, is there anything there that I, that I am living in rebellion? Is there anything here that I'm not doing correctly? And their lives, although they fail, although they struggle, and they are quick to repent... And they're not in a position to where we're talking about right now. But there are others. There are others who wear the mask. And when they're at church, they're one thing. And when they're at home, they're another. I don't know who they are. Their masks are good. <laughs> Every once in a while you see a peek through. But those that are living in rebellion to you, those are who we're talking about. That chastisement is inevitable if we don't repent. I pray, Lord, that you would just bring this sermon to the hearts of those who need it. Those who are living right, may it just be an encouragement to continue to live that yielded life to you. Repent when we do wrong and go forward serving you. I pray that you would bless us now today, Lord. Encourage our hearts and strengthen us through all that you've done in your word, said in your word. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together and we're going to sing a verse.